Appalachia. Appalachia is a very distinct word, and everybody has their own opinion of what it represents. Moreover, though, whether it's right or wrong, it stirs up images of everything from indescribable mountaintop beauty, deep forest, and cabins in the wood to trailer parks, meth heads, extreme prejudice, and xenophobia. The fact that one word can bring up such a huge response is an owed to its far-reaching influence in society. The Appalachian Mountains are the oldest mountains in the world. They once towered 30,000 feet into the air and currently stretch from Canada through 14 states all the way to Louisiana. The inhabitants of these mountains through the many years of their existence have lived through and witnessed what can only be described as horrendous, demeaning, and even downright unbelievable history as we are now learning every day is not exactly what we've been told and what was once thought to be nothing more than fairy tale is now coming to light as truth. I often hear references to the movie Deliverance or people making funny banjo sounds when describing the Appalachians. I, being born and raised in these mountains, know that nothing in fact could be more wrong or, in some cases, more right. The history that lies in these mountains is rich and has been around longer than any place in the United States. In fact, far longer than the United States itself. We'll look into these mountains and learn about the good, the bad, and the ugly history that lies within them to this very day. Hello, I'm Larry Bentley, and this is Appalachian Murder, Mystery, and Legend. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, my good friends. Thank you for your time today. Please listen as I tell a forgotten tale of what happened in a small community in the Appalachian Mountains just before Christmas in 1907. West Virginia's mountainous terrain, as impressive and beautiful as it is, was and still is today, loaded with great natural resources, particularly coal. In the early to mid-1800s, coal was known to be of great abundance in the area, but there was just no way to mine it out and get it out of the area until the railroad could be constructed. This was all made possible in 1883 when the N&W Railway built a line into Marion County, thus opening the way to tap into the great coal resources of the area. And... By 1901 in Marion County, this led to a great explosion of new mines owned by the Fairmont Coal Company. European immigrants, mostly Italian and African Americans, from the south poured into the area to make a living and with the labor needed for the new mines. By the early 1900s, West Virginia was hands down the leader in the nation in coal production, but the 
companies that owned the mines fell short of the proper mine safety regulations, causing West Virginia to also be the leader in mining accidents and deaths. Monongah is a small town in Marion County, situated where Booth's Creek flows into the West Fork River. The Adena and Hopewell peoples dwelt in this area for between 1,500 and 2,000 years ago. By the time of the early European traders and settlers, the native population was pretty much non-existent. They've been decimated by what was called the Beaver Creek Wars. Now, the Beaver Wars were a series of conflicts between several Native American tribes, which had started in Canada between the Iroquois and the Northern Algonquins over the beaver fur trade with the Europeans. The Iroquois finally were successful in wiping out the Mohegans, the Wyandot, Erie, Susquehannock, and Northern Algonquins as far south as the Ohio River Valley. Monongo was first known as Briartown by 1866, then known as Camdensburg, named after John N. Camden, the United States Senator from West Virginia. But Monongo was chartered in 1891 and remains the name today. Monongo was a coal mining town and the miners worked hard to provide for their families. And on December 6, 1907, the town was going about its usual business. There were probably some holiday shopping and anticipating of the long holiday season that would be spent with loved ones. It was without warning that it 10.20 a.m. on that day, explosions occurred at the number six and number eight mines. The explosions ripped through the mines, causing the earth to shake as far as eight miles away, shattering buildings and even pavement, hurling people and horses violent, violently through the air and onto the ground, and even knocking streetcars off the rails. The Monongah mines number six and eight were located on the West Fork of the Monongahela River, about six miles south of the town of Fairmont. The mines were connected underground and were considered model mines, the most up-to-date in the mining industry, according to the Fairmont Company at the time. Electricity was used for coal-cutting machinery. Locomotives were used to haul coal, and the largest areas of each mine were well ventilated by mechanical fans. For a time following the explosions, pandemonium broke out around the area. To make matters worse, every single local mine official was now missing and possibly were caught up in the explosions. So, there was nobody there to relay any information whatsoever. It was simply impossible to fathom the complete extent of the catastrophe or to tell whether either mine was on fire or still maybe full of gas, which could set off another, even more violent explosion handled in the wrong way. Soon after the explosion, four miners emerged through an outcrop opening, dazed and bleeding but otherwise unharmed. The stunned miners couldn't tell anybody anything about what had happened or the fate of the others still underground. They were simply going about their work when all of a sudden they found themselves picking themselves up and running for the only light they saw. Only with the, or along with the hundreds of shrieking half-crazed wives and mothers, along with crying children, came the few men left in town. Volunteers came willing and 
anxious to help with the rescue work as do the strong Appalachian people. They frantically cleared away the wreckage at the entrance and tried to force their way into the mine, but they began to get sick from the toxic mine air and nearly had to be rescued themselves. I'll be right back. You're listening to Appalachian Murder, Mystery, and Legend with Larry Bentley. The explosion had filled the mine with black damp, which is an asphyxiant, reducing the available oxygen content of the air to a level incapable of sustaining human or even animal life. It is not a single gas, but a mixture of unbreathable gases left after oxygen is removed from the air and typically consists of nitrogen, carbon dioxide, and water vapor along with coal dust. The explosion had blocked the mine head in with uh, wrecked cars and timbers and demolished one of the fans, which had stopped the ventilation into the mine altogether. Choking coal dust, rubble, and wrecked equipment completely blocked the rescue teams, and making any progress took an immense amount of effort and time. The number eight mine's huge ventilation fan had been completely destroyed beyond any repair, so the rescuers used a smaller fan to try to ventilate both mines. Brick stoppings, which are the partitions used to direct air through the mines, had been blown to bits. As rescue parties slowly worked their way in, they used canvas curtains to restore the ventilation and dilute gas and blow out some of the dust. Some rescuers tried to wrap their faces in their coats to filter out the dust, but there still just wasn't a lot of air to breathe. However, with the great mountaineer strength and resolve inherent to these great Appalachians, they pushed on, finally reaching the bottom of number six slope. Debris from a wrecked coal car trip was found scattered for 250 feet along the headings. Coal cars were smashed and piled up on top of each other and were nearly blocking the entryway. The trip had been pulled up the slope and stopped at the knuckle a short time before the explosion, which caused the coupling pin in the first car to break, and the entire trip, consisting of 18 loaded two-ton cars, had ripped down the incline. The explosion occurred before the cars had gone into the pit mouth and before the trip had reached the bottom of the slope. Finally, at 4 p.m., moaning was heard by the rescue team near a crop hole, and a rescuer was lowered through the hole with a rope. About a hundred feet below, he found miner Pete Urban sitting on the torn body of his brother, Stanislaus. The poor man was staring off into space with a glassy-eyed stare that would become known as shell shock after World War I as he cried uncontrollably. The rescuers didn't know it at the time, but Peter would be the only survivor of the Monongah disaster that would be found. The now-exhausted, tough Appalachian volunteers found conditions in the mines almost unbearable. Almost, that is. The heat was intense, and after damp caused headaches and nausea, yet they kept going. Once finally able to get to some of the trapped miners inside, they found a 
seemed so horrible that most weren't even able to describe it and refused to talk about it even after years. They would soon find that all of the miners were gone. The explosion and the black damp that followed it was simply unsurvivable. It was nothing shy of a miracle that the five who got out alive did so. Ventilation materials and bodies, as they were found, had to be hauled 3,000 feet over. Massive roof collapses and wrecked machinery, mine cars, timbers, and electrical wiring. Smell of death now permeating the mines was nearly insufferable and became overpowering as the search for any survivors dragged on. Searchers never lost hope of possibly finding survivors or of the fact that there might possibly be some men somewhere in the mine alive. They continued to dig and search every inch humanly possible, leaving any unnecessary cleanup work for another time. By this time, morticians and embalmers worked around the clock in shifts in order to try to give the families of the lost miners some comfort in the most awful time. Instead of a Christmas parade with holiday floats and decorations or shoppers moving along store to store, caskets now lined both sides of the main street. The local bank served as a makeshift morgue as churches conducted funeral services several times a day while dozens of men dug long rows of graves in nearby hillsides. Some disputes flared over identification of the victims and more than once a body was claimed by two families. This due to the trauma inflicted upon the bodies by the explosion. It was just impossible for the coroner to positively identify someone in those days. By December 10th, the number of people killed exceeded 175. It was obvious to most rescue workers, but not to the relatives of the missing men who continued to hold out hope that Peter Urban would likely be the last man to be brought out alive. By Thursday, December 12th, all workings had been ventilated and searched and 337 bodies recovered. 25 more victims would be found during the cleanup operations. A special graveyard that had been created for the miners was laid out on a bleak hillside and was soon full. Company houses flanked the new sacred burial ground with rows of open graves which had been dug in half-frozen rain-drenched and now snow-spotted West Virginia soil. The 362 casualties of Monongah's coal mine disaster left more than a thousand widows and children. The Marion County coroner's jury, after hearing from numerous witnesses, concluded that the victims of the disaster died from an explosion caused by either a blown-out shot or by ignition and explosion of blasting powder in mine number eight. There wasn't much joy in Monongah, West Virginia, on Christmas of 1907. The families of those lost in the explosion were left to carry on as best they could. 362 men and boys died. It remains the worst mine disaster in the history of the United States. The community came together as Appalachian folk do, and after or having never forgotten that day when so many lives were changed forever, and they did this by leading the charge to implement a new national holiday. That holiday is called Father's Day. I hope you've enjoyed learning about this piece of Appalachian history. 
If you have, please rate and review the podcast, and don't forget to subscribe, please. Go over to our Patreon page, patreon.com, search Appalachian Murder, Mystery, and Legend. Give it a look. If you'd like to join, there are several levels to choose from, starting at Mountain Boomer all the way up to Appalachian Hillbilly. I just uploaded a new Patreon exclusive called The Ghosts of Bent Mountain, available along with early commercial-free episodes for Patreon subscribers. You can also support the podcast by clicking the link on the show notes. Or you can go to Facebook group Appalachian Murder Mystery and Legend Podcast where we can discuss everything Appalachian or whatever else you'd like to talk about. I'll be back soon with another Appalachian Murder Mystery or Legend, and I'll see you then.